Everyone, welcome to Manufacturing Hub. I am Dave. This guy up here is Vlad. And today we've got a very special guest, David Schultz on. Uh, we're going to talk all about SCADA. So, so David, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, I really appreciate your time, David. I think it's going to be a great conversation. We had a very good chat before the stream. So I think uh, we definitely will have a lot of questions for you. It's going to be interesting. Uh, we already have some Controversial questions from YouTube. People are asking what your favorite SCADA is. Uh, oh, I think yes. Like, I, well, I, I think that's not something we're going to throw that throw at David uh, at all this episode, I would say. You know, I think maybe you can infer based on his comments or uh, some of the answers to other questions. But before we get into the SCADA, right? Like, I think the first step is always to get to know you. So, David, could you give us a synopsis of your background and how you got to where you are today and what are you doing today? Uh, so my background is I've been in automation process control for over 25 years now. I started out at the device layer all around uh, pumps and instrumentation and valves and more analytical equipment, process control equipment, that type of thing. And I had a professor in college one time and say, your own talent and interest will get you where you wanna go, just keep moving. Well, I kept moving and I had a pension for all the things that, you know, had the blinking lights. So, and eventually I got into doing more on the computer and the SCADA side. So um, probably about, oh, six, seven years ago, really became full-fledged in the whole SCADA um, world for a lot of the uh, the pipelines and um, the, the marketing terminals, as are called for petroleum. Um, you know, whenever you go to the gas station, you need to fill up your tank car with gas. Sometimes you'll see a truck that's there. Well, I was involved in the systems that filled up the truck. Okay. Um, so I've been involved in it ever since and just continue to graduate. Sometimes you call it up the technology stack to where now I'm the system integrator solution architect for predominantly SCADA and MES and, you know, right at the very, um, you know, have a front row seat for all of the industry 4.0, all the digital transformation or digital evolution that's going on. So it's a little bit of my background, but uh, my career has taken me to a lot of different plants, a lot of different in a lot of different industries. So that's kind of the, you know, been there, done that. To dig into that a little bit more, David, I guess I'm curious about the transition, you know, going from someone who understands instrumentation and maybe works at the PLC and HMI development level, because I get that question quite frequently. How do you maybe grow into someone who's taking care of that higher level, right? Like at the SCADA and maybe even like MES at that point. But it, do you see maybe a need to have a certain number of years at the instrumentation level and then you can start transitioning to understand the overall architecture? What's what's a good way, I guess, to wrap your mind around those higher levels versus like PLC and HMI? Programming. Yeah, so for me, it was a pretty short path only because I had a lot of the practical knowledge um, under, you know, of, of going in and, and looking at a lot of these manufacturing systems. And so for me, a lot of it is just what's your overall experience in terms of manufacturing and how things are done. And if you're always curious, if you're always wanting to know, well, how does that work? How does that work? How does that work? It's your own curiosity, your own interest is going to get you introduced to those types of things. So it's, you know, for me, it's, I don't know that there is a, a magic formula. Okay, spend five years here doing this, spend five years here doing mm -hmm. that. It's more of a, as your own interest grows, you'll eventually uh, get to those uh, particular points and, and that type of thing. Um, 
really when you get into SCADA, it's all about solving problems. And at some point you're going to realize your PLC controls, that's, that's going to solve a specific problem. But there's always this other issue we're running into. And, and man, I want to get in and, and, and figure out how to solve that next type of problem. So, um, you know, my last comment on this whole thing is, and this is a Jeffrey Gittimer uh, quote, uh, he's a, a sales thought leader, but, um, and I believe he's borrowing from somebody else. But anyway, the point is, is that your, your formal education will earn you a living, your self-education will earn you a fortune. So, you know, don't just stick with what your employer, or whatever it is you're doing is throwing at you, go out and learn as much as you can. Um, and you'll get there. I guess to dig into a little, a little bit deeper into that answer, I, I like the fact that you mentioned, you know, going and understanding maybe the solutions that the SCADA systems allow you to provide. So would you say that you need to have maybe a process understanding in addition to the technology, uh, I, I guess, like to be able to provide the, those answers, right? So you become sort of like not only just a technical person, but also like a continuous improvement, like CI mm -hmm type of uh, engineer, I want to say. Yeah, and that's been one of the um, the conversations or, that I've had over the years is that, you know, typically you'll have a pump guy or you'll have a mm -hmm. valve guy or you'll have an instrument guy, but there needs to be, or, or gal, I don't apologize if there, I'm, I'm sure there's a, a very large female audience that we want to make sure we're speaking to as well. So when I say guy, I mean it in generic, generic sense. Um, you're always going to have that person that is involved in that particular aspect of it, but there really needs to be that broad understanding of, well, what exactly is my control valve doing? How does that instrument talk to it? And, and what's that piece that's in the middle that's, that's working on that? And if you can expand beyond just your area of expertise in your domain as the pump guy, the valve guy, the, the instrument guy, that it, it, how do all these pieces fit together? And then you start asking the question, well, what does that mean for the overall business? Because remember, I can do this really great process control and deliver the solution, but what is the business trying to accomplish with the solution I'm trying to provide? So abstract it a little bit more and you get into the whys of why are we doing these types of things? And eventually you just land on the, oh, now I understand. I can solve that problem. I really like that answer. To be honest with you, I've not thought of it that way, right? Like I always maybe like looked at it as a piece of technology and then somebody else would sort of figure out how it fits into the business. But I really think that there is a lot of value in understanding that component yourself so that you're, again, like well positioned mm -hmm. to provide those solutions. But before we, I guess, like continue on the SCADA side, David, could you paint us, a, uh, I want to say like a longer picture on what you're doing today. So you said you're a systems integrator, so you run your own business, you provide mm -hmm. SCADA integrations, MES, uh, do you deploy like hardware solutions? Like what does that look like today? Yeah, so in terms of solutions that I'm involved in, it's a lot of the, uh, the manufacturing intelligence. So, you know, from some of the projects have been purely, you just need some P and IDs. It's more of that HMI. I just need to control a particular process um, to others that you know, we need a, a full OEE track and trace capability within our manufacturing system. And oh, by the way, we need all this, um, this other equipment. Now, depending on the size and scope, there's certainly a lot of uh, partners that I work with to help provide those. But in, in terms of what it is that I'm looking at, I would say the broad majority of them are more around this manufacturing intelligence. There's probably already a control system, possibly already a SCADA system in there. It's how do we bridge that next gap to where we can start bringing some context. So for me, your SCADA system is more around your process health 
or excuse me, your process um, status. I now want to know what is my process health is. How is my plant running? Just I know I'm already running in a, a control standpoint from that SCADA standpoint. There's other information I want to get. What's my process health? I like that fi final comment. I think it's a good segue into asking you again, what are maybe the delineations that you see between, again, I want to say plant floor instrumentation and MES systems, right? And I think, again, maybe drawing from my experience, I've seen all sorts of strange applications being deployed. Even uh, one example that I usually give is like a process recipe management that runs on a PLC and a local mm -hmm. HMI, which, you know, in my opinion, and I've tried arguing with the customer that it probably should be a, a higher level application. But anyway, that's, I guess, like that's besides the discussion, right? But how do we separate and delineate what's a SCADA versus what is then going to be an MES? So MESA actually has defined, and ISA 95 uses this as well, there's actually 11 different pieces that make up an MES. And most of the time, and I think where it gets to be challenging is that I might be running, say, an ignition or a Wonderware mm -hmm. InTouch or a mm -hmm. Prophecy, a GE Prophecy, you know, iFix application but in the background, there's some kind of MES capability. And it's hard, and I think that's where this, sometimes it's hard to, to understand what is the MES and what is the SCADA piece because our, our visualization or how we're informed by what that system is doing is traditionally through our plant SCADA system, mm -hmm. right? So in terms of having recipes down on your PLC, it's funny you mentioned that because I'm in a project right now where that's exactly what, what the client is doing. And it's, how do you, you scale that? How do you actually take that recipe and make changes? Or worst case is if what if one of the PLC guys wants to make a change to that recipe? How do you manage that? How do you govern that type of, of change that's in there? And you have no idea that somebody did something. So I'm absolutely with you on that, Vlad, that purely recipe management is a higher level. It's part of that, that what is that MES layer. Mm -hmm. But what you're really looking at is when you're trying to manufacture a, a you have a manufacturing order, I need to make some particular product. How do I actually get that information that that whole host of all the things we want to do around um, our manufacturing operations management and the execution? How do we get that down to the PLC? And there will be this 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 black box, if you will, of this MES capability in there. Applications like recipe management, recipe download, um, your track and trace, or I mentioned process health earlier. That's going to be the the APQ. Um, so that's your availability, your performance, and your quality. Most people know that as another three letter acronym, but uh, that's that's now the the uh, the metric that shall no longer be named. Um, there's there's some people on the in the, in the um, you know, here in the in the uh, the call that will understand that where that's coming from. Those are the types of things. So you know, think of it. The delineation is ultimately what is control and what is managing and overseeing some of that that process health. As I you know, I continue to allude to of those types of applications. And, and I guess like on that same point, do you see that? So I mean, there's obviously multiple vendors and they're doing things. I want to say in slightly different ways, and and the way they approach their SCADA systems is different. But are you seeing that SCADA is becoming more kind of like involved uh, in the process? Or are you seeing, let's say, even your MES systems being more standalone, being able to get that data without your like SCADA systems? I'm, I'm trying to, again, like figure out the delineation because I, I've seen multiple ways of approaching that problem. 
but I'm curious what you're seeing like in your projects and in the field in general. So I've, I've seen where people will, so I'll, I'll you, know, you know, Ignition and Cepasoft. So Cepasoft is this MES layer that sits on top of the Ignition SCADA platform, even though mm -hmm. SCADA will do a lot more. Um, so I've seen where you'll have something that's very bespoke. So Wonderware, they have their system platform, they have their portfolio of MES capabilities. Um, so I, I've seen where people will go out and try to solve these problems with a specific, a, a bespoke solution for mm -hmm. whatever it is they're trying to do, the, the, the OEE, the track and trace, the quality, the SPC, those types of things. Because SCADA platforms in general are becoming more and more inclusive to the types of things that they can do, um, you know, we were talking earlier about this, and I think this is also lends itself to some of this confusion of not sure exactly where does this boundary of SCADA and MES reside. Mm -hmm. It's because we're able to do a lot more um, on the, you know, with those existing SCADA solutions. There's a lot more people that have ability to do programming. So I can mm -hmm. do some customization of certain screens. And the next thing you know, I'm now able to do all of my recipe download in a SCADA platform but but it doesn't exist within the context, if you will, of an MES package. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what you're having. I mean, they're just their SCADA systems are becoming uh, more adept and more capable. There's more things that it can do, and that's that's lending it. So, um, uh, so finishing off that that question, I, I've seen that as well as people that have just done the roll your own. I'm on another project currently where the um, I'm supporting another um, system integrator that has built their own. Um, downtime management mm -hmm. system, and I'm helping roll that out and deploy it to other pieces. But you know, under the hood, it's all doing the same type of thing. Uh, it's also built in Ignition, just happens to be that way. Um, but they've they've done all the Python scripting, and they access a SQL database, and they're able to do all of the you know trigger all those events, do all your counts, those types of things. So I don't know if there's a trend. Um, you know, other other than you, you kind of see it all all out there. And it, I think it's really interesting, right? Like seeing the the fact that these systems are certainly a lot more capable than they used to be, right? And I'm, again, maybe that's a conversation we can get into in just a moment, but ultimately I see this uh, kind of, not necessarily a wave, but I guess like this, how to say like disconnect or growing complexity, not necessarily always being a benefit, right? Like, as you said, people are starting to develop their own things. And now you have these applications that are kind of on the MES level, but they live on the SCADA. And so it's not, I, I wouldn't necessarily always a benefit that you can do a lot of things, right? It's, it's almost like it, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. But, but Dave, do you want to maybe jump in? I know you have a lot of experience in this uh, area as well. What are your thoughts? I, I do. And I think you, you were making a really good point there, especially towards the end, Vlad, with, with a bunch of a bunch of these offerings like Ignition, they're a platform, right? So they, they will, will go down and you can go build innumerable numbers of HMIs. You can go build your SCADA. You can go build your, your MES as to what normal structures are. And then you can build any and everything that you want to on top of it, as long as you have the, the programming skills. And uh, one thing that I have learned through a number of years of working with uh, developers is, is sometimes the hardest part is to say, hey, maybe we shouldn't build this on this platform. Maybe, maybe there's there's another tool that, that exists out there. So um, as we see more of these platforms coming up, David, do you think think or um i guess the question is 
do we need to have a hard delineation between where SCADA starts and stops and, and where kind of a variety of, of MI, uh, manufacturing intelligence or MES begins? Do, do we need that hard delineation or is it more of a, as long as we're getting people to use the tools ideally in real time, that, that's the important part? So from my perspective, do you need a hard and fast rule of, you know, thou shalt not do this? And, you know, and I say no, and I'm mm -hmm. going to reference to the, you know, go back to the ISA 95 standard. Um, it's a comment I've made before. So if you're not familiar with ISA 95, um, it is a specification from the International Society of Automation. Um, and then oddly enough, its first release was in 1995, hence, hence the name. And what it attempted to do was try to start putting some boundaries in some ideas around this is sort of how your data should flow with any manufacturing mm -hmm. system. I think where people sometimes get off the rails is that it's really meant as a guide, not so much of a, um, this is, you, you know, thou shalt. It didn't come down with Moses from Mount Sinai is this is how you do it type of thing. It's mm -hmm. more of a, this is how we're solving these problems today. So even the, even the most rigid specification or the most well-known specification for drawing those things, you know, always approached it of, yeah, this, this is kind of how, how we need to do it. That said, what I would say is that if you are going to roll your own, so you're going to take a SCADA platform and you're going to do some things beyond the supervisory control and data acquisition, as the SCADA acronym suggests, it's that you're, you're following some standard data models some standard information models, understanding mm -hmm. there's a type of data, there's a velocity of data, there's a structure of data that exists within a SCADA. The same type of thing is, is applicable within some kind of an MES application where you want to ensure you're following these, these common data models or um, sometimes are referred to as the master data models once you get into the ERP so that you're able to scale it out. Mm -hmm. um, the other comment I'll make around is if you decide to do the roll your own, because there's a lot more capabilities that you have with it is I would not start with a particular solution you're trying to solve. Don't start with a front end of how I'm going to view whatever the information is. Yep. Start with your back end. Start with building these data models so that they are as, as flexible and as open that you can apply them to more things. Because one of the reasons why these tools that come out of the box are so difficult to uh, work with is because they were designed around a specific application. And now we're trying to open it up and do more things with it. And it's like, uh-oh, now we're going to have to refactor. And I think all of us have certainly been in such projects, right? And again, I illustrate the example that I kind of run into on the recipe management side that was deployed on the, mm -hmm. on the PLC. And it was very difficult to replicate that from the original development and deployment to a different facility of that same manufacturer, just because, mm -hmm. again, it was written on a PLC system. So sure, you can maybe move it to a similar PLC, but if the line was different, if the sensors were different, it becomes really difficult to kind of decouple that application. And at that point, it just becomes unscalable. Not to mention, you know, uh, just like the basics, because originally they intended to change those recipes from the HMI at the line and now the operations manager wanted to see and add new, um, you know, the recipes, which is a, a whole other like aspect of, you know, running that line that was questionable. But he wanted mm -hmm. now an HMI terminal on his desk in his office, you know. So th there's a lot of there's a lot to be said, I think, 
uh, and you mentioned this a couple of times, David, the scalability factor, right? So you should really, uh-huh. I think, take the time and figure out what would make sense kind of like a little bit long-term. Yeah, it's so, and I run into this conversation a lot, especially as, you know, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of the projects I'm involved in around this manufacturing intelligence and how do I get more of this data that I'm already producing? How do I get more of it out of where it currently exists and start bringing it together with more of that disparate data? Because, you know, the whole concept of big data is that, well, there's a lot of data that we're going to look at and there's patterns that can be recognized. So how do I start bringing all this data from all these different systems that have different structures, have different time uh, time events, you know, or, or how mm-hmm. long the, the, the data uh, lasted, that type of thing, bring it all together, and how do I start analyzing that? Um, and it, uh, should I just all of a sudden just derailed and lost my train of thought there, uh, where I was going. It was going so well. Um, <laughs> so but, anyway, I, and I apologize. I saw uh, something shiny. But no, I, I yeah. think it's a, it's a good, like, conversation around like the data flow and i want to say like the architecture of an enterprise right like the way i guess like my best like understanding or picture is and i want you to like take that and maybe tear it to shreds but i see this let's say floor data right you have raw information of let's say values of like temperature pressure like servo speeds on off signals what have you your SCADA only stores them in many ways like in raw form right so it's going to map mm-hmm. those signals but not necessarily process them and perhaps like present again charts that primarily are mostly useful to I want to say like technical individuals and trying to kind of figure out what's going on with the system and as you go up the level right to me that's where maybe the delineation happens where you have some magic that is the transformation of that data for more of a business purpose as well as you know, your operations. Is that how you see the architecture when you're working on projects or is that completely off or something could be wrong? Well, you know, I, I subscribe to the adage of, I have no idea how this information is going to be consumed. Um, and it's it's from a, uh, you know, at the plant floor level or that SCADA data, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes you can utilize these, you know, the process of story and is a very common tool. I'm going to look at some trends Mm-hmm. And I want to see, okay, what's happening in my particular process? I know these are the, the 10 tags that are, are involved in this particular application. So I'm going to take a look at those and see if I can't um, you know, discern some type of information that is out there. Um, that said, keep in mind that you know, just, just because that's traditionally what has been used, it doesn't mean there isn't data that exists in, in another part of, a, of the of your business that is going to be benefit to the people that have traditionally just been looking at, um, you know, at the trend charts or that that particular SCADA data. So you want to make sure you're presenting all that information uh, to the people on the plant floor because there's is an immense amount of knowledge that exists there, but only if they had that particular data. And you want to make sure that it's there. So I, I wouldn't say that that that's just your SCADA stuff. It's a SCADA application. You know, that's a SCADA person. Make sure that that's all that person gets. I would make sure that they they get all the other things. So, so you mean they also get the data from the upstream? So kind of more like business absolutely. type of analytics level? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because there, there's going to be some insights that are going to be, you know, it's, and I don't have a, a, a specific example that I can put my finger on, but, you know, certainly if somebody were aware of the, you know, I talk about your asset health or your, uh, you know, the process health, that person might be able to look at it and say, oh yeah, that's a problem that already does that. And if they didn't have that information, you would have never known that. It's, 
you know, some people like I mentioned earlier about working on pipelines and pipeline SCADA, there are people that know when the new product is coming in and they can open the valve because they can hear it. They've just been around the equipment long enough. Mm -hmm. They know exactly what it sounds like. You can do the same type of thing with data. They're going to know it. They're going to have insights that you just don't have because they're, they're viewing it. They're coming at that same information from a very different perspective. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, yeah. If we want to approach maybe a question of deploying a, a new SCADA solution, right? So imagine like a greenfield application where, I don't know, you have a, a food manufacturer that wants to deploy like three specific lines. They have a, I want to say like a fairly straightforward process in mind. They're doing maybe some cooking at the front end and then they're doing some packaging and then palletizing as a process. So they're deploying three lines. How do you mm -hmm. think they should appro approach the process of selecting the skater, what what might be some thoughts or questions that you would ask them as that project unfolds? Yeah, so it, it always comes down to the whole purpose of a SCADA is that it has to be around the minimum, uh, what is the minimum viable product for my safe operation of that particular plant. And whether it's greenfield or brownfield, mm -hmm. oftentimes that's what people look at on these projects. If I just want to be able to operate this particular line. And from the, the approach in that standpoint, it's yes, you absolutely want to at its core need to be able to, um, to safely operate whatever it is that I'm doing. So it's this food plant that's going to have this particular manufacturing train. And there's three of them that are going to be stood up. It's, you know, the, the, from a product selection, ensure that you're at least going to be able to do the types of things you need to do for that particular control. Once you've done that and established that, that's where we get into the next piece. Um, so I was just joking, um, you know, before we uh, got, got on the call about don't ask me a cybersecurity question. Well, I, I'm going to comment on cybersecurity now. For me, it's there is a whole lot of data that is available to you or that it's not currently being used. So when you're getting that SCADA platform, yes, focus on the control. You want to safely operate it, make sure everybody goes home at the end of that of the of the shift. But there's so much more information you want to make sure you're able to consume. So don't lock yourself into something where now it's going to be very expensive to get that information out. You should approach it from, uh, as, as Arlen Nipper likes to say, you know, plug your intelligence into a an infrastructure. Don't plug it into systems or applications. You want to take that same approach here. So yet, yes, it's control, but you want to be thinking big picture. At some point, you know you're going to be getting that information and take it into other parts of the business. You know there's information that's going to exist in other parts of your business that you're going to want to bring, you know, to that to that that plant floor and to that control system as well. So make sure that that is facilitated very easily. So let me ask you, I guess, like on on a specific note, like. If you have a different I was going to say, no, 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 I was going to say, I think that those are all really good. Um, I'm, I'm going to add a couple more okay. if anyone okay. is actually like through the process of looking at them kind of to, to David's last point of looking towards the future. I always try to, to sit down with, with potential clients and ask them, say, hey, you want to build a SCADA for especially Vlad's new, new Greenfield facility, right? I'm like, okay, almost everything is going to have some sort of SCADA, but what do you want to do with it, right? Like, what does the rest of the infrastructure look like? How can we go ahead and tie that in? What does the manufacturing intelligence look like? Have you guys had that conversation? Kind of what do the, what do the systems look like? And then kind of beyond kind of the, those large forward-looking pictures, 
I always liked to look at and know what sort of experience people have, right? So if it's some geographical areas, they're going to be, you know, very much one vendor versus another. I generally am not going to recommend we go jump into the opposing vendor where there are three people in the entire area who know how to use the, uh, the, the, the hardware and software and the nearest programmer that programs in that language is a seven hour drive or five hour flight away because that's going to put them in, in a bad position. So I always like to, to look geographically. Where are they? What do you, what sort of uh, levels of comfort do we have? And then what sort of support is there in the area to make sure that, that we pick the, the correct one? Because sometimes you'll pick a, a system and you'll think we're going to, oh, we're going to save $10,000 by picking this because we're the right tag level and I can get the APIs in and out. And th this is the you know process historian mm -hmm. I want. And we're going to save a little bit like this. And you go and deploy it, and especially if you're then the integrator, then then hopefully you didn't sign up for some sort of SLA because you're going to be getting an awful lot of calls that, that fall under that service level agreement that you're going to have to, to go send someone out to go fix because there's no one close to be able to do it and there's no one else that you can subcontract out to. So I, I think that those are, are very important to, to take a look at as well. No, agreed. It's uh, what I call the right technology, not necessarily Absolutely. the best technology. And, uh, you know, that that's part of the reason why technology sits is, you know, one of the, the five, uh, you know, pillars of the business. It is the right technology in there. And it's, it's the technology that you can support. And it's the yep. technology that the client can support. Because I've been involved in projects where we just marveled at how great and how novel this solution that we deployed. And we just want to stand back and marvel at its brilliance of, wow, I am just, my client needs me if it weren't for me. And mm -hmm. six months later, they're not using it. Why? Because they just didn't understand how to use it there. And you sit there and like, man, this is such a miss. Why? Yep. Because the technology was just, just too hard. You know, a hammer and a tape measure Sometimes that's going to be the right solution. I can use a light. I can use a little laser pointer, but we, we know the other thing will work. Let me ask you uh, as a follow-up, I, I, I guess both of you, but David, a, a bit more specifically, right? So I've had this conversation multiple times with uh, people who are looking to maybe upgrade SCADAs more so than deploy it on a, on a completely new system. But I think we've come to a point where it's easier or it's much easier and cost effective to add all the data into a database upfront than to try and fit whatever we need later on, right? So in the conversation where maybe the question becomes, what are you trying to do or what the potential would be of that SCADA system for a, let's say a greenfield facility, uh, as we were discussing, you may not always get all the answers on that same like first installation, right? So in my mind, the way I think about that is we should get all the data and store it, and then we could ultimately figure out what we can do with it uh, a few years down the road as the facility matures. Mm -hmm. Is that a wrong approach or do, like what's a fine balance there, right? Because ultimately, if you come back three years later and you're trying to figure out which data you want to pull out for now a facility that understands the value, it also mm -hmm. becomes more complex than at the installation uh, side. Yeah, it's that follows on to a comment that I made earlier is, you know, and I've run into this here in the last boy three months, I believe we were talking about um, you know, it's it's all these tags that I could ask like, oh, the tags are expensive. I'm like, yeah, but data is exactly what it is that you need. So if you look at the decisions that you can make with having more data, 
it's you're going to realize the cost of that tag was pretty inconsequential. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm going to align uh, with with that comment or with you on that comment of just start collecting everything. You know, any more data is cheap. There is so much. You know, put it in AWS and an S3 bucket or a Glacier, or, you know, one of those long term storage, put it there because you can you can store terabytes of data much cheaper than you used to be able to store gigabytes of data um, in the past. So uh, I would say start collecting it now. You have no idea the value that that's going to be realized. So think about this. If you're a, a greenfield or even if you're a brownfield and you're upgrading your plant, you know, remember, it's not just you and your operational performance. Is how what is your operational and financial performance relative to the other people that are in your market, in your geography? If all of a sudden you start collecting all this information and can start making more actionable insights, your manufacturing intelligence is superior than to somebody else. If there's a shift in the market, so within a dairy, it's are we going to use liquid milk or are we going to use powdered milk? You can have those insights and make those decisions very quickly because you've already stored it or you've already, you have all the information to, to make that decision. And that's only, you're only going to have that information if you stored it from the get-go. David, I really wish you were on some of those calls with me. I, I, I think that's <laughs> very well articulated. Dave, so so I, I guess I, I need to, to play the devil's advocate that I feel like I always play when we have this conversation with Vlad is that every time a client comes to me and says, hey, I want to store everything and I ask them why and they just kind of shrug your shoulders, that's not a, a good kind of medium or, or long-term plan. There are, there, there are absolutely valid reasons to store more tags, more information than you need. But our default shouldn't be let's just store everything. Um, yes. And like I guess that is the comment is if you are going to go build this and you're going to go future proof what your facility looks like, go spend a little bit of time and money and put together a plan of, hey, we're going to store th these pieces of information from this machine. And maybe we need to put a couple more sensors on and we need to make sure that we capture the correct in feed and out feed and, and feed rates and all of these things, because all of that makes sense. I, I don't think that our initial should be yes let's just store everything because we can store everything and, uh, and and i only say that because i've had multiple people who have said yes let's store everything because we can earlier this year and and i've watched the most hellacious rollouts uh, earlier this year that sadly i can't talk about because it would well it embarrasses me that i was on site while, while these happen but 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 i, I do have, I have a good example to uh to, to david's earlier point so i was working with a food and beverage client um and they had uh, uh they had a bunch of issues on a very particular machine and so they go into their process historian and they go to kind of take a look at it and at some point very early on it becomes it becomes very evident that i, I believe they were vfds like these vfds don't have tags in the historian and so there, there are a number of lines and and the lines have 20 or 30 vfds uh, between them and it becomes very apparent that these vfds don't have tags on them and so they have to go through and manually put in the tags uh so, so they can go collect the data on, on energy spikes and start stops and, and things along those lines but they they do the thing that kind of kills you is they only put in the tags of the two VFDs that we're currently having the problem with, not the other 30 VFDs that are along the line that, that continue to have similar cascading failures. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I agree uh, kind of to David's point. And if you are looking at saying, hey, what do we do now? Because we haven't put in 
all of the tags and we're a brownfield facility and and we are limited by a bunch of kind of resources and time and all of these things it's go make good decisions now the, the best time to, to go start collecting all this data was 10 years ago 20 years ago the, the second best time is is now so, so go start pulling tags in uh and, and having those conversations with management and with other groups because five years from now you're going to be very happy that you have the information Absolutely. It's the, you're, you're going to find a lot of these conversations. There's a tension. Um, so like, you know, data, you know, data modeling, semantic data models and data governance. Um, those are, you know, sort of intention because, oh, we want to give people the flexibility and the creativity and we want them to be innovative. And on the flip side, it's we need them to be, um, you know, we need to maintain some data governance that we always need to ensure it's that compliance that all of this information is there. So you're going to find a lot of these complex, you know, these con uh, concepts are going to be intention with something else. It's yeah, you don't store everything, but then you don't store minimal either. What's that happy medium? Right. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. We have a good question in in the comments from uh, Mark, and he's asking uh, when upgrading a legacy SCADA, should one also upgrade the data model to make sure the data source is future proof? And he put in parentheses interoperability with IT systems, OT protocols. Mm -hmm. uh, business insights, AI, ML. Yeah. So when I am approaching and you, and you asked it a little bit earlier of uh, the new site or that, you know, there's new site, whether it's Greenfield, Brownfield, whatever it is we're doing, what's sort of the approach of there's a new SCADA system that's going in sort of that next step of once you've articulated some of the, the, the control aspects and some of the future need capabilities of what's going to happen. When I'm involved in those, to me, it all starts with this, this data model. So really four aspects are it's the interoperability, it's the, it's the, the data models, the data governance, then of course, uh, the cybersecurity or just the security of what's going on there. To me, semantic data models are your absolute starting point because what you don't wanna do is create all of this data with no context. And that's what you'll run into. And I've seen it a lot in, uh, early on in some of these efforts of I'm now going to take all this plant floor data and I'm going to dump it into this big data lake and somehow all this magic is going to occur out of all this data. My data scientists will go in and slice and dice it. And then they realized, wow, this isn't very easy, largely because if you've ever been around manufacturing plant data, it's very disparate. And the way that you call things and refer to things can vary from one piece of equipment to the next. Um, even two lines next to each other will be, mm -hmm. be very different. So if you have the ability to start with those data models, that is, is fundamentally where you want to go. So you're looking at a data model of a particular object, whether it's an asset, whether it is a some infrastructure like your line, uh, you know, your line, your cell, whether it's the function. So if I'm going to be looking at some performance data, that there's a data model around what that looks like. And then finally, what's the data model of how I'm going to visualize it? What is the information that I'm going to see in a common format? And you want to model all of those things. And, and I guess like just to maybe dig a little bit into that approach. So you would start maybe with the most fundamental like pieces of hardware, like some sensor level data and what that looks like, right? So I don't know, like a temperature measurement, but also the description of that sensor and its location. Mm -hmm. And then you would wrap that into, I don't know, like a bigger component. So that's measuring, I don't know, the, the temperature maybe of your tank. And it also measures your like pressure of the tank, two valves on either side, right? So that's kind of your bigger system. And then that's part of your cooking process. And then that's part of your like line four, 
right? So that's kind of like how it wraps in itself. Is there like, I guess, on that si same side note, is there a standard from ISA that one could, uh, okay. Is there no, any no, guidelines there on how to, how to do uh, data modeling and kind of like what are the starting points of, of that aspect? Yeah, so when you take a look at, we'll talk about the, a temperature instrument, a temperature transmitter could be an RTD, just some basic device that's making a measurement. And what you're going to get out of it is always going to be some number. You're probably going to get some number and perhaps an engineering value with it. So, you know, 64 by itself doesn't mean anything. 64 degree F has a very different meaning than 64 degrees C. So you bring mm -hmm. that information in, but that's about the asset or that's just, you know, from the overall process value itself. But that piece of equipment, there is a manufacturer, there is a model number that's associated with it. You might have a tag number that's associated with your overall process that follows some tag convention. There is where it's physically located in your plant. There is the last time it was calibrated, who calibrated it, what was it as found, what was it as left. Um, there is, I'm trying to think some other, oh, it's in service date. There is all kinds of information that exists around just that little temperature transmitter. So the way to start this is, is those basic building blocks of starting off with fundamentally it's its PV. Where is it located? What's its manufacturer? Some of its faceplate data, as sometimes it's called. What other events occur around that particular instrument and start capturing that? And then do the same thing with all the equipment that's that's that, you know, that's sort of the asset level that we're looking at now bringing into the overall uh, architecture of the plant model of where does this sit? Is it part of my line one? Is it part of this tank farm? Where does it physically located? And then what are some of the other equipment that's processed there? And it's iterative and it grows. And, and do you think, I guess, like based on that, on that point, do you think as an industry, we are moving towards maybe a standard that kind of maybe creates that? Or you think there's still going to be Here's a plan that Vlad commissioned, you know, 10 years ago that has a data model that Vlad thought of. And here's a, a plant, you know, David, Dave and whoever else, you know, there, there, there's these disparities that although to some degree similar, but we still can't just, let's say if I'm a manufacturer and I acquire Vlad's plant and I have a standard on like David's data model, then we still have to spend a lot of effort trying to, to some degree revamp what that looks like even though it might be like similar and still achieves a good purpose for that plant it may not just you know plug and play into our overall uh business infrastructure so is there a standard no will there be a standard i i don't know and that's that that balance of can we agree that there are certain things that it that it must have so mm -hmm. um there's an organization that's called sesme they're trying to do, that's one of the aspects that they're trying to focus on of how can we have these common asset models, these common data models that ensure that interoperability. And I think it's a, an absolute, um, a great direction and a great thing they're trying to do. It's how does that play out in practice? And this is that, I mentioned it earlier, that tension between that you, your data model has to have this information versus the data model can have this type of information and you need to allow some flexibility and some scalability in there because not there's not a one size fits all type of thing. Um, I think at its core operational standpoint, we're all going to agree that there's certain things that are just going to be consistent. They're always going to have a manufacturer. They're always going to have a process variable. Um, there might be a set point that's associated with it. 
And then after that, it's just, it's really going to be very uh, industry specific. But I, I think at a basic level, we can at least agree on a certain aspects of that particular data model. And that'll probably make its way, um, you know, to something a little more formal in the future. But, you know, right now everything is, is up because we've always just consumed tags or, you know, plant floor data as an, mm -hmm. or an individual piece of data, not as in context of, of other things. Yeah, it's interesting. And again, like it's just the thoughts that I'm having, right? Like there, there's no, let's say in software, there is maybe even like an open source marketplace that you can at least get a starting point that someone has already pre-worked mm -hmm. like a template again for something like a pump or a tank or like what have you that is to some degree standard. And I, and I realize it's not always applicable, right? Because the systems are also very custom. So mm -hmm. it, there's always no like right answer yeah. for everything, but it's just a thought that uh, is very interesting. Dave? Yeah, but I, I can. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Dave. No, 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 please. You go ahead and finish your thoughts. And I have yeah, a couple just, of thoughts. It on it as well. Well, yeah, do it. Or otherwise, I'm going to forget where I was going again. And we don't want that. Um, it, it's the as a, as an integrator, there is a set of standards that I use. I already know what some of that information is going to look like. So ideally, it's it makes it much faster to deploy. So if I now have that three line system um, for this brand new food plant that we're going to put in, we're going to focus on, we're going to do all our learning on line one and then roll at line two, line three, because we've already done the hard work on the others. And now it's scalable and extensible, which that was actually the point I was trying to make earlier is that there's a ton of ways to solve a problem, mm -hmm. but you want to make sure that your solution comes out being very scalable and extensible. Otherwise, one unit of effort on line one is going to mean one unit of effort on line two. And that's crazy. You'll run out of time and money before you get there. Absolutely. Um, I have a, I've got a couple of comments. Uh, I actually want to quote uh, Tim Wilborn for, from earlier, uh, earlier this year on the show. Uh, we were talking about PLCs and uh, and ladder logic, right? And I think Vlad was was harassing him maybe a little bit on ladder logic versus uh, anything else. And uh, and, and Tim <laughs> Tim made the com something to the effect of he teaches a lot of his courses in ladder logic because even if no one wrote a single line of ladder logic today, ladder logic would still 20 years from now would still be the most popular code uh, in manufacturing facilities uh, for the next, I don't know, 20, 50, 100 years, uh, something along those lines. And I I think that, that, that that's a very good point, right? So even if we were to, in theory, start and institute a standard, right? We, we have to, to write and tag everything this way. And even if we magically were able to, to wave our magic wands and get people to do it, which, which is a whole different issue that, that I see in most places, it would still be very difficult for, for most legacy manufacturers because no one's going to rip everything out and, and start over from scratch. I will say in, in my experience, uh, many of the most successful organizations, as we go to look to scale some of these solutions or go build additional buildings and facilities, are ones that built their own kind of we'll call it call it a systems architecture guide, call it their own internal standards, and then rigidly forced everyone to to go ahead and follow those standards, so that Dave and Vlad and David couldn't all like do. Some of us are doing, you know, underscores. Some of us are doing backspace or some of us mm -hmm. are doing hyphens. Vlad's doing a, a reverse backslash because he's just a monster like that. Right. <laughs> so so it's very important to, to go define your own architecture, what mm -hmm. you want it to be. And then once you've defined it, go force everyone by any means necessary to do that, because the, the, the one part of talking about David's data scientists that, that you had brought up earlier, David, is that if we don't do a good job of this, 
you go try to give it to a data scientist and what you really need is, is I don't know, two years of an entry-level programmer, or an entry-level data scientist to go through to clean what the data looks like. And it's going to take six months, two years, maybe more, depending upon what you have until you're able to give it to a data scientist and get that, you know, high level, very valuable information. And that's assuming that there, there's context and they maybe have a little bit of process knowledge in there. So it's it's not nearly kind of that that magic silver bullet as uh, magic silver bullet as uh, as some of us would hope. We actually have an, another question uh, from from Mark um, in the comments that, that I think is is really good. So, so he uh, he asks, "What's your advice dealing with companies having multiple SCADA platforms in the same enterprise architecture?" And I'm going to kind of broaden that a, a little bit because I know we had talked about saying, "Hey, maybe you're acquiring companies. If you acquire companies, what what's the best way to go about dealing with dissimilar?" SCADA systems, dissimilar kind of all sorts of enterprise systems. What's your thoughts and experience on that, David? So it all depends on what it is you're trying to do. Um, so you know, does anybody ever just rip and replace and come out and say, okay, I walked into this plant and it has Wonderware and this one has GE and this one has Ignition and this one has all that or you know, some other uh, you know, VT SCADA. Uh, you know, are you ever going to rip and replace that? No, not at all. There has to be a compelling business reason to do that. Um, I made a comment earlier about make sure you're plugging or connecting your intelligence into infrastructure, not into applications. So in this case, the guidance is, is there a common denominator where you can start accessing this data? And the answer is yes. That's why you see the proliferation of a lot of these, uh, these gateways out there that I'm going to have a, a piece of technology that's going to connect into your underlying system. And not to beat a dead horse, but we're now going to build this data model with those particular connections out there. And I'm going to present that information from all of these systems and a common technology infrastructure so that I can start comparing like and like. And now I can slice and dice all that information. So, you know, my underscores, your um, your dashes and these uh, reverse backslashes, it sounds a lot like a forward slash, but... Um, you know, whatever is out there and gets used, it now comes together in a common format and a common technology. So um, the guidance is, you know, don't don't just start ripping things out. Start learning how do we bring this data together through a common technology architecture, or, you know, common infrastructure. And then as there's obsolescence, as there is some functionality, there's a compelling business case to start replacing it, then get technology that supports that technology infrastructure, don't just continue to buy something that doesn't because that gateway is sort of a stopgap measure until you can get to the right thing. Um, you know, you might have Modbus out there Well, the next time maybe get some Ethernet IP, for instance. Yeah, I would, I would definitely agree with that. I, I think, you know, even my question to the, to the previous comment about data models, it's less about replacing older systems. It's more kind of setting a standard for, I want to say like younger engineers who or maybe looking into these solutions. And again, just like myself down the road, realize, well, maybe it wasn't the right idea because I've kind of reinvented the wheel, so to speak. Like, I think the same answer applies to your data models as it does to like new SCADA rollouts. But yeah, I, I completely agree. I don't think it should be retroactively or just reapplying a new SCADA system just for the sake of it doesn't really make sense. Although like I've seen projects done that way, but that's a, that's a whole other uh, discussion. We had, a, an, a, I guess, another question from Mark too. I think he asked about IIoT systems, right? And he asked, what difference do you make between SCADA and IIoT measurement solutions? But I guess I want to 
add to that a little bit, David, and I'm seeing a lot of um, IoT solutions that provide their own systems that allow you to monitor the performance, right? So they're almost like synthesizing their own data and they have their own portal, whether that is in the cloud or it's just like accessible local, local at the plant. And to me, it, it almost creates like a disconnect. Now you have like so many systems that you need to monitor in their own proprietary systems. Like what are your thoughts on, I guess, like how that's being like deployed in our industry? Is that something that you think is beneficial? Because I, I think like, you know, the way they try to sell it, I'm sorry, I guess like to interrupt because I'm sure you had a strain of thought there, but but now it's gone. <laughs> well, you know, like Uh-oh. they try and sell it, like they have this algorithm that's going to take that data of those, let's say like vibration sensors and it's highly proprietary mm-hmm. and synthesize some really great data that can only be viewed through their platform. But what are your thoughts? So if you're, if you do not have access to the underlying data that's coming out of there, that to me is a concern. Um, when I take a look at these, these SCADA or IIoT, you know, there's, there's these minimum technical requirements. We talked about interoperability. Well, f- for me, it's that's a, that's a must-have. I need to be able to connect all of this information together and look at it because I'm now, you know, vibration data is great. Uh, I'm, I'm a CMRP. I'm, I'm very well-versed in triaxial uh, measurement devices that get temperature and being able to predict failures and those types of things. But I also want to be able to combine that data with maybe my ultrasonic system. I want to take a look at that data in terms of my process system. I want to take a look at that data in terms of maybe my tribology, my uh, my oil analysis on, you know, if this is a rotating piece of equipment, I want to bring all that information together. So if you're on a platform that is, you know, yeah, there, there is some secret sauce around their algorithms and I have no issues with that. But for me, it's at least exposed some of the underlying data that is there to do it. So you know, I'll, I'll go into an anecdote where uh, it was about four years ago, there was a plant that they had sort of their maintenance manufacturing intelligence. They had their operations manufacturing intelligence. Ah. We're connecting into some of the same type of stuff. Neither of them knew that the other person was doing something. And now mm-hmm. to me, it's if you had a common technology architecture in there where I would take my my maintenance data, my reliability data, marry it with my process data through a common ecosystem, I can still apply your algorithms and your secret sauce on it. And then I give, I'm given the option for which of the, the secret sauce companies are best at rotating equipment, which ones are best at fixed equipment, which one is best at my process equipment. If, you know, let's say maximizing throughput while constraining quality. You don't, you're now not locked into that particular vendor. You now have the ability to, it's all your data. You present it. They produce, they provide the insights. It's interesting. I guess I don't have the answer on where the industry is going to go, right? I see like both kind of approaches to doing things. And again, I'm curious if the value added by those like more proprietary solutions is enough to, I guess, for an end customer to say like, well, okay, like you can have all that data and they almost have no control over what that looks like. I, I don't know. I don't have the answer, but yeah, it, it's an interesting thought. Well, I can tell you if I worked for that company, I would tell you absolutely wholeheartedly, no doubt in my mind, we are the best at this and you should, you know, without a doubt, get my particular solution because nobody's mm-hmm. going to do it better. My belief is that if you're that good at what you do, you won't have an issue exposing your data or accessing other systems that are out there because it's the back end that's that's where the magic is it's not the ability to collect the data um it's that ability to to analyze it so 
I, to me, it's be open. I, I would agree. I, I would say, and I th- we've had some conversations about IIoT earlier in the year. I think basically the overwhelming theme is you shouldn't look at purchasing an IIoT solution that doesn't give you an easy way to go ahead and acquire your data, right? Whether it's through some sort of API or CSV, you shouldn't go dump all of your data into an internet solution that you've got no chance and are locked in to continuing to pay in order to uh, in order to get that data. So I would say that that that's kind of as a as a first. Um, I, I think that it's I, I think that many organizations who currently have SCADA, robust SCADAs that they're continuing to add sensors and other things to will reach a point where they will probably pick and choose a couple of IIoT solutions that they will pay the monthly subscription fee for. Mm-hmm. I think that if you don't have a robust SCADA or if you or if you aren't a facility, right, if you are doing a whole bunch of oil and gas stuff and you are just a whole bunch of remote pumps or, or other things along along those lines, then maybe some sort of IIoT solution makes more sense than investing the time and money up front to go ahead and kind of build all of that infrastructure and, and everything else. So I think that we will continue. I, I think that this kind of like streaming and everything else, we were going to see a big rise. And then we're going to, to David's point, see a bunch of people who are, who are really good at it. And the people who are really good at it are going to continue to thrive. And we're going to see a whole bunch of people like uh, CNN plus who decides that after spending a bunch of money that streaming is not really what what they want to do and that is not not where they are going to uh, going to go and I, I know that we are we are running up close to time but I do want to kind of talk a little bit on manufacturing intelligence because because we brought it up and and that's your experience. And but before I ask you to to give everyone a, a little bit of an overview and maybe some of your thoughts on it, I do want to tell for all of our our new listeners, we actually talked about manufacturing intelligence in episodes seven, eight, nine, and ten, um, all the way back in April or March and April uh, of twenty twenty. One so March, March and April of last year. So if you're new to the show, please go ahead and and feel feel free to uh, to see what episodes seven, eight, nine, and ten now looked like on uh, on our side. Uh, slightly different than uh, than what we look and sound like now. But uh, but David, can can you give everyone maybe a little bit of an overview of what manufacturing intelligence is? Maybe maybe a good win that you've had with a, a client that you can talk about. Um, so manufacturing intelligence is, you know, this is that, you know, right on the heels of that IAOT platform thing of what's the difference between SCADA, what's the difference between IAOT, and it's that ability to integrate within the business systems. You know, mm-hmm. remember, industry three was now we're automating our process. Well, now we're going in industry four, we're going to automate our business, mm-hmm. meaning that all these systems should connect together. Um, so it's, you mentioned API calls, or I'm going to make SQL queries, or I'm mm-hmm. going to get CSVs, or I'm going mm-hmm. to do some kind of mechanism to bring in data from other systems that, man, I never, I never needed to make an API call with my SCADA before. Well, now you're going to need to do that. And that's part of what, what makes it that, uh, um, an IAOT platform itself. So with that, when you start getting into the manufacturing intelligence, um, for me, it becomes that, you're really you're interested in manufacturers got five things. So I've, I've talked a little bit about them earlier, but you have your, your process status. Now you get into your process health. That is your 
you know, how am I, how am I, is my line running? It's the performance of that line. It could also be things like what are my material movements and those types of things. Is it when I have a particular vendor that I buy some raw material from that I run into all these, these uh, upsets in my process, that's kind of your process health. Um, asset health, you want to also look at your energy and you also want to take a look at your labor. So the, the, the combination of those are the areas that you have for really, you know, the levers that you control within your overall manufacturing process. So the manufacturing intelligence is that is that next layer. It's going to be looking at that process health, asset health, energy and the labor that goes into that and uh, focusing on what are some of the other insights that we can gain from it? How do I present the right information at the right time in the right format to the right people? So it's not just mm -hmm. a trend chart. It's not just sit showing me the little animation that's, you know, my pump is running or something along those lines. It's the other insights of why is it when you get our, our raw material from this company or I'm trying to think of another good application of, of some things you've looked at uh, or, you know, just some like some SPC type of, of things that are there. Um, in terms of some some recent wins on that, um, many of the projects that I'm currently involved in are still in those early phases. We're not quite to the points where we're getting some uh, long-term lasting results, or at least for the you know, the clients that I can talk a little bit more mm -hmm. openly about. But what I can tell you is, once you've uh, once we've gotten to the end, and they've now been able to realize that, oh, my performance isn't as good as I thought it was. Um, you know, namely around the performance of my application, it's been very eye-opening because it's, yeah, I guess we're not been calculating it, right? We're not as good as we thought we were. And those are those, you know, it's the robust solutions and this long-term impact that we're looking for. Um, so I, I would just say in a general sense that once we've been able to deliver that intelligence, it's been very eye-opening for the, the clients on them. Oh, that's great. I, I think that's, that's awesome that, uh, again, you're experiencing that. David, if I can lighten up maybe the conversation as we approach sure. the end of the show, we have an interesting question that maybe uh -oh. you have some anecdotes for. <laughs> Somebody's asking, how often do you guys battle huge spiders when you open ancient SCADA enclosures? And I know Dave had a had a, a story in the past that he's told, I think, a couple of times. But David, do you have any anecdotes of dealing maybe with older systems? Well, I, I can't say that I've had bugs where you open up a control cabinet and there's been some weird things. I mean, we've all seen the pictures of the big snake that's staying warm or these uh -huh. you know, spiders and those types of things. Um, most of the time when I'm walking in, especially on these transformation efforts, is just dealing with old antiquated equipment and how on God's green earth are we even going to get the data out of this thing to do anything with it? So yep. um, if you've seen some of these old control systems, um, you know, paper charts or pneumatic instruments. And it's mm -hmm. like, guys, come on, um, you've got to do something here. So I, I will say there, there's some interesting, some interesting plants that are still operational out there. And you scratch your head of how do you guys continue to do this year in and year out? But, you know, they, there they are. Yeah, I've seen those uh -huh. like, you know, the round paper charts where you have like yeah. a little mm -hmm. needle and it like rotates and it was like very surprising. It's like on a slight side note, Dave, I'll let you jump in just a moment. They were trying, you know, in conversations, they were trying to figure out how can we deploy AI and ML solutions to this factory in order to leverage the data. And then, you know, sure enough, I showed up to the plant all excited. Like, how are we going to plug this in? And, you know, I talked to the operators. They're like, well, like here are the, like the paper charts for the last like 10 shifts. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess we need to, really have a conversation about <laughs> what we're trying to do here before we 
go that route. Right. But Dave? Yeah. I was going to say 2016, 2017, I probably sold 400 paper chart recorders in the Mid-Atlantic to customers who absolutely could not consider even going to the digital chart recorders. Um, some of them we, we upgraded from ink to uh, to thermal charts, which was uh, w- which was a plus. But uh, but no, uh, paper chart recorders that then get shoved back in the box that then go on the the almost a hundred percent metal shelf, maybe in someone's office, maybe in someone's supply cabinet, and then they're just hoping the FDA doesn't come asking to uh, to look for what the temperatures are because everyone on those shifts know when they're above or below what, what the temps should be. So I I would absolutely uh, agree with David that there are lots of opportunities, be it modules from old PLC fives. Um, be it, you know, some sort of electromechanical solution from a bunch of these pneumatics, right? Steam, especially up and down the East Coast, uh, especially in New England, is is huge. Most major cities run on steam. And, uh, yeah, all, all of those and any sort of uh, outputs are are extra. And, and who's going to pay extra when uh, when, when the steam works? Uh, mostly by magic. If you uh, if you talk to uh, talk to people these days. But uh, but, but no, I, I think that. Looking at old cabinets, looking at old machines, especially machines that haven't run um, in, in a while. I mean, you, you need your PPE, right? You need you need your hard hat. You, you need your your face shield. You need the gloves that go up to the elbows. You need the, the boots that maybe go up to the knees. You don't know what's going to crawl out or, or fly out or already be dead. Maybe you need the nose plugs. I mean, you, we, we absolutely have to have special PPE just for the the intern or the low low person on the totem pole that that has to uh, to open these up. I, I have seen. Uh, a number of of cabinets in the last few years, not necessarily at plants that I've gone to, but uh, but but just some some old places like up and down the uh, the Rocky Mountain Range that I, I just kind of look at it and it's just like this wire mess. But most of the time, the wire mess is like behind some sort of uh, front uh, front metal plate. This is just open to the elements, and I'm like. I have no idea how this is running. And then I look at it and then I just, I, I think about taking a picture, but then I step back and I'm like, if I take a picture, I might upset the magic, which is the only <laughs> thing that is still holding this together. And, right. and I don't want to have problems later. So I, I think that um, absolutely take, uh, take complete precautions. I'll, I'll talk to Vlad. Perhaps we will have to put together some sort of uh SCADA cabinet horror story, um, uh, option where we get people to to write in to tell us and or show us the worst things that uh, that they've pulled out while uh, while opening up old cabinets or old machines. Uh, everyone, stay tuned for that. Uh, yeah, everyone, stay tuned for that. But but no, um, David. So so we we've talked about a bunch about uh kind of greenfield brownfield mi we, we got to talk about old machines we we want you to predict the future w- what does the future of, of SCADA? what does the future of manufacturing intelligence look like are we going to continue to to kind of push everything towards the platform are they going to separate w- what are your thoughts on this yeah it's uh, this is the dilbert principle when everything is centralized the next logical thing to do is decentralized and of course when things are decentralized the next logical thing to do is centralized and you can take a look at the the um the waxing and the waning of the computers where you had the mainframes then you had the pcs to now we're on the cloud and those types of things the the trend that i'm seeing and this is going to become more and more common is around this whole edge computing ideas. So if you think of within the IT side, these infrastructures, it's it's the Unix principle of do one thing and do it well. I think you're going to start seeing a lot more microservices. You're going to have applications that are running right at the edge, 
doing all the things that used to be handled by this centralized SCADA system. And then it's going to take all of its intelligence and it's going to connect it into some sort of ecosystem that can now be consumed by all of the other um, devices that are out there. So I really think that the future of SCADA is going to be very much these, these edge type devices that are all pushing into one system. And even though SCADA is designed around that, that supervisory control, there's going to be the ability for all of that to exist right there at the edge because it's going to be consuming a lot of different uh, information. There's a lot of horsepower. So, you know, my, my prediction is a lot of microservices running on some, you know, some fairly robust hardware that's now controlling these processes that are, are able to, to do all of these things and maximize all the various KPIs and business drivers for it. Um, but definitely it's going to be more than just an OPC server connected up to a, a PLC that was programmed in ladder logic. Um, it, it, there's going to be a lot more programming that happens there. Interesting. I, I like that. We've had a number of conversations uh, around some, some Siemens stuff. I, I know Ignition has uh, their own um, thir third party or community uh, groups that you can go sell. And I know a number of people who have kind of built their own, we'll call, we can call them microservices, right? Uh, microservices for clients that, that are, if you build it correctly in an SDK that you can easily just drag and drop in um in, into the next system, then it's it's infinitely scalable in and of itself. So I'm excited to see more people kind of take their expertise and find ways to hopefully get paid for what their expertise looks like and, and help clients at a much larger scale th than an individual or a, or a small group could uh, could do before that point. So that that is mm -hmm. that is very exciting. Um, next question for you, David, is do you have a book recommendation uh, for uh, for something that, that Vlad and I and, and maybe the listeners would enjoy reading? Yeah, so I just got done reading uh, David Brooks and it's called The Second Mountain. And it was introduced to me through another group that I'm in. And the, the idea behind it is that, you know, when you get to a certain part in life, your first part has always been, you know, climbing this and building this, this first mountain, which is mm -hmm. your professional, it, yep. it's how people know you, it's the work that you did, it's the paycheck that you presented, then you get to a point where you realize, man, there's got to be something more. And that's where you start um, getting involved on that second mountain of, I'm going to now do something that's it's more around to leave a legacy okay. uh, within my life. So I'm, I'm going to be known for this professionally, but my legacy is going to be around something else. So that's that's kind of the premise of it. But what I took away from it was some very good insights. And one of them is that we either um, come together around a common um a common mission, a common uh, directive. There's something that we're trying to do or we get together and we form groups around a common enemy. And some of the, the dialogue and dissertation that went into that last piece, and you just take a look at what's happening in our culture right now, are we forming groups because we have a common mission, we have a common goal, we have a common outcome, there's something that we're all trying to create and do together, or are we coming together because we just want to be the enemy of, you know, we're, we're not gonna use the legacy industry 3.0 stuff that's that's the that's we're the anti-platform that's the platform type of thing so hmm. it, it was just an insight into which one am i and that's why i bring up the book recommendation because my takeaway from it was wow am i coming around a common goal or am i coming around a common enemy and want to be very careful of being in the latter camp interesting very interesting i was yes. gonna add I, I guess i have a question before the next 
Dave question uh, because we had this in the chat and I think it's a, it's an interesting one. Uh, David, if I can ask you, so well, the question is, is there an online class to help understand SCADA and MES? And I want to, I guess, like, elaborate on that because I think we've talked a little bit about that earlier, but I think also there's a distinction for me between like implementation, right? So something like Ignition has a good university where you can understand mm -hmm. how to tie it to a PLC, how to get the data. But are there any like resources that you think that are good specifically to maybe wrap your mind around like the architecture, like what the what kind of a purpose does a SCADA and MES like truly like solve? So you can start thinking beyond as we talked about just the technical aspects, but kind of understanding more like on the business side, what the capabilities are. Yeah, so I don't necessarily want to name drop, but we're going to start with the very basics of YouTube. All the information is that you need is out there. You just need to expose yourself to it. So if there are particular topics that you're interested in, just do a quick search. It's amazing how much information is already out there. So you've talked about Tim Wilburn. Mm -hmm. I love his videos. It just it makes some of the most boring, dry topics um, interesting. And, and Scott Tierney and... Yep. Um, you know, there's a handful of people that are there. You have shows like the Manufacturing Hub. There's there's many like it. Um, so I mentioned a community earlier. So 4.0 Solutions and their IoT University. A lot of great content there. Um, you know, you reference the Ignition University in terms of how do you learn how to use Ignition? Yeah, that's all there. But you really get a good understanding for what Skate is doing. Um, Sepasoft, even though it's really there for um, you know, how to utilize the Sapasoft tools, there is a very good overview of the ISA 95 and what mm -hmm. are some of the information that that comes in to uh, or, you know, how you go about applying the ISA 95 and what the various um, aspects are of that particular model. Um, and speaking of ISA, there certainly is a connect.isa.org. Um, mm -hmm. That's another good resource. There's a number of divisions that are involved in committees. And I would just say, get involved in them. So it's, it's the YouTube videos, it's the other communities. Um, and then just start asking questions because what you're gonna find is that people really want to help. There's a genuine interest in, we need to create something and they're absolutely going to do it. Awesome. Absolutely. I, like I think all of those are good. I'm going to actually drop a book recommendation because when Jeff Winter was on here about a year ago, he dropped the ISA. Uh, th th there's a book from ISA about MES that came out uh, about a year ago that uh, he, he had recommended. I, I have not had the opportunity to sit through and read it, but if it has gone through the committees that I'm sure it's gone through, I, I would imagine that it's a very good technical resource um, for you to take a look at. And if it came out about a year ago, it, it's about as fresh as, as just about anything else that you're going to uh, to find. Um, and I think all of David's recommendations were, were very good. Um, I will point out that in in my experience, most people looking how to go understand to build these, the best way to do it is is to go ahead and build something, whether it's a demo lab um, that you have yourself for the organization that you're working with. Thank you. Uh, Vlad, Vlad completely missed that opportunity to uh, scooch out of the way of his demo yeah. wall. Uh, but 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 go ahead and and go build something. That is the best way to uh, to learn is to get that hands-on experience. And that, that's how I found most engineers uh, are able to successfully go, go pick up and understand where everything is with the knowledge that every client is going to be slightly different. And even though it's a standard, doesn't mean that the clients are always going to follow and fulfill the standards, which, which is a difficult thing that uh, that many of us have uh, have learned time and time again, uh, time and time again. Yeah. 
So I, I will say that, you know, we, we tend to focus, and I know they wanted to learn SCADA and MES, but your skill set that you're going to need to be successful at what it is you're doing, if you want to get into the controls world, whether it's doing PLCs, you know, SCADA, MES, we've talked about, well, we're now integrating business systems. You're going to have to have a good understanding around business, but there's also a lot of other technical skills that you're going to need to know how to work with. So whether it's mm -hmm. a VM or a Docker, you have to have some kind of operating system or place to install all of the software, which you also need to know how to install software. You need to know how to specify the systems. You need to get it up and running. We're talking about making API calls and SQL queries. Well, guess what? You're going to need to start learning how to make those API calls, how to parse the payload that comes back. You're going to need to know how to do SQL queries. You need to do programming. And while ladder logic is going to be around for a long time, structured text, because everybody coming out of high school and college these days knows how to program at some level, you're going to see a lot more of that out there. So there's a lot more skills that you're going to need to learn besides just PLCs and, and, you know, perhaps SCADA and tying into tags. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think all of those are good. And, and I think that kind of hits the, the next question that I was going to ask. I feel like this this hammered the career advice uh, very good on, on the technical resources, on on places and things to learn. Uh, do you potentially have, have any other thoughts, David, uh, in antidote, any of those things of, of career advice? Would you suggest people follow the career path that you followed or would you suggest that, that they do something a little bit different? <laughs> Stay away. <laughs> Um, well, so what you're going to find is that there's no, you know, good substitute for a ball that's been hit squarely and firmly. And mm -hmm. it's sometimes I wouldn't be where I am had I not gone through those particular struggles. Yep. But what I would say is that if there is something that is of interest to you, dive into it and, and see where it takes you. So for me, it's, you talked about getting the hardware in back there, you know, just get in there and learn um, from it. And, and I will say, for just from a career advice standpoint, be very deliberate about what it is that you're doing, because if you just if you don't know where you're going, you're sure shooting going to get there. But if you know where it is that you're trying to go, surround yourself with people that you like to be around, because typically you're going to be, you know, especially the people that are doing the types of things that you want to do. You're eventually going to say, yeah, this is either for me or it, it's not for me, but. Um, I, I can't say enough. Just continue to be out in front of the new information and, and don't wait for somebody to come to you and say, here, do this, you know, find, you know chart your own path because you will get somewhere, you know, the direction you're trying to go. Um, I opened with your own talent and interest will get you there. I'm going to close with that as well. It absolutely will. Awesome. I, I think that that's all fantastic advice. Uh, thank you so much, David. The, the last question that we have for you is, is who should reach out? Who do you want to connect with? What sort of conversations are, are you looking to have? This is kind of your open forum to ask all of our listeners, whatever you'd like. Um, so from my standpoint, you know, who am I around or who do I, I spend time with? You know, I mentioned most of the work that I do is, I mean, it's obviously with direct, you know, directly with manufacturers. I work with other system integrators, but I'm an ideas guy. And so when we start talking about, you know, the, the data models or security or, um, you know, I'm just trying to think of some of the other topics that were there, you know, for me, it just becomes the idea person. And if you have something that you want to run past or it's just, you know, it's, I need some advice, you know, don't reach out to me because you think, uh, you know, because I'm interested in, in, you know, hey, maybe there's a commercial opportunity here. It's around connecting and, and doing something. It's, it's sort of that sec I'm in that second mountain phase as well. Um, so if, if, like I said, if you're, if you're a manufacturer, if you're a system integrator, if you are a, 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 
technology, you know, a technologist, whatever it is that you're into, um, you know, please reach out. I, I'm, I love to connect with people from all different walks of life. Amazing. Th- thank you so much, David. And thank you everyone else uh, for, for being here, uh, hanging out for a while, talking about SCADA and manufacturing intelligence and, and a little bit of everything else. Um, if you guys have made it this far, please feel free to go ahead, hit that like and subscribe button on the Manufacturing Hub uh, LinkedIn on the Solus PLC YouTube. And if you guys are listening in podcast form, please feel free to go ahead and, and follow us and rate us five stars on all of those places that you can go ahead and rate us five stars. Um, it, it helps a bunch. And I have learned that if I ask you guys to, to go ahead and like and subscribe, you like and subscribe. So you've done this to yourself. I'm going to continue to do this. But but until next <laughs> week, we'll see everyone soon. Thank you. Thank you. Everyone. Goodbye. Thank you.